old school philosophy of a data center in a closet somewhere or a server under a desk, it's just different now. That doesn't mean we've gone away from physical infrastructure, right? There's still a thousand devices for data backup and recovery. There's still a thousand requirements around networking and security around data protocol shifts. It's just a different type of data center now. And companies are getting a lot smarter about what they need to manage directly and have in their own control versus what they can outsource. And yet we're still at the tip of the iceberg. Now this week, I'm joined by none other than David Totten. Now David works for Microsoft. In fact, he is their chief technology officer for their Americas region. Now David and his team get to help both customers as well as partners work some magic with the amazing tool set that Microsoft makes available and is truly transforming the way that the world even operates. Now we cover a lot of ground in this conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy it. The line between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible in these modern apps. The kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense resilience and scale can deliver without even breaking a sweat. That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused on the business objectives. That's where we craft the plan. In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter. So David's remit inside of Microsoft is well, pretty wide. So I thought as we started our conversation that maybe he could share a little bit about what the day in the life of David Totten is as he impacts so many companies throughout the U.S. I got a great job, Jeff. You know, you and I have worked together for a while now. And yeah. my my latest role here, I, I've got a team of really talented technical strategists. I got a team of technical uh, architects. And so mm-hmm. if you think about any partner who wants to build on Microsoft services, whether it's a implementation service, a managed service practice, uh, or build IP, right? If you're a, a, an ISV or a, a product company, yeah. if you're interested in building on Microsoft's platform of services here in the US, my team is responsible to help you figure out uh, how best to do that. And then we have architects go in and actually help you build it. Right. So it's it's um, it's it's a lot of fun, right? Because the scale of a couple person, couple hundred people in the organization and, and, and the level of technical talent that they persist is is, you know, inspiring in its own right. But also every 30 minutes is different, right? You're yeah. meeting with partners, you're digging deep into technical scenarios. Um, there's just so many opportunities right now to build with Microsoft. It's a it's a pretty fun, fun time to be a part of a, the third party ecosystem. Yeah. How long have you been in the role? Two years going on, um, feeling like 20. It's, I was going to say two a, years going on 20. There are long days. There are long days, sir. But yeah, two years now. So did you grow up in the in the Pacific Northwest where you are now, or or where where was home? Yeah, I did. I grew up in a place called Canvas, Washington, which is right outside sort of Portland, Oregon, Vancouver, Washington, southern okay. border. Um, I went to school uh, across the state at the Washington State University. I was lucky enough to to be poor growing up, but decent at sports. So uh, I got a couple of athletic scholarships and was able to make my way uh, through undergraduate and. Uh, And so I've sort of been in and around Washington forever. I went to New York for grad school for a bit, uh, which was a fantastic experience. But when you grow up on a farm and then you go to a place like, you know, Pullman, Washington, that has, you know, 30,000 people, but 25,000 are students. uh, When you when you're then in in Midtown, you know, Manhattan and you there's more people on the sidewalk than we're in my hometown. That's a whole Um, new world, whole new world. So, yeah, the plan was, you know, eventually get back to the West Coast 
um, where there's some, you know, some green stuff and, and, yeah. and some mountains and some fresh air. And, and so we moseyed our way back over here right after nine 11, actually, I was in New York during nine 11 and said, well, this isn't for me. Um, as if I'm there wasn't a better back. sign to say it's time to go home. That's, that's correct. It was time for me to pack the Celica and drive across the country and see if I could find a job. So, well, it seemed to have done all right. So what was the first job? What, what, what welcomed you back to Washington? Uh, interesting story. I, I called a, an old buddy of mine. Uh, I call him a buddy now, an old boss, uh, a supervisor uh, who I worked with at, at uh, AT&T Wireless, Macaw Cellular. And, and that's why I started in telecom. And um, I called him and he was working for a data storage company in the Bay Area, <laughs> uh, a company called Sunrise. And lined up. I was networking. I now have an MBA from, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm employable. Right. Right. John, I I can get a job. And so he says, uh, yeah, so I, I go through the process. I get a job. I'm driving across the country. I stop in Denver, Colorado with a friend. And I said, um, I call him and I'm like, Hey John, first day's on Monday. Do do I, do I go to building one? Do I go to building two? Do I ask for HR? Do I ask for you? He, He calls me back on Friday night and tells me, oh, hey, you're, yes, you're coming in on Monday. That's great. But just, hey, FYI, um, I quit and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm moving, I'm moving to Seattle, uh, to start a consulting company. Um, any, any interest in, in, in swinging that? Um, and, you know, I'm like, well, well, John, I would, I would love to, you know, fulfill my obligations of the offer letter I signed, but you were yeah. kind of part of that package. Um, sure. I like Seattle. I've, I've been there a bit. I, I can drive up there. And so yeah. I literally went to I-5 and instead of turning left to go to the Bay Area, I went to- You, you turned right. I, I turned right <laughs> and I came up to Seattle. Now, I didn't have an apartment. Um, I lived well, you out had the my Celica, though. I had the Celica though. That's what I'm saying. I had the Celica. Unbelievably comfortable. And, um, and I had before, one of those- Way TV. before sleeping in a Celica was cool. Correct. Correct. I had one of those like CD Walkman, uh, you know, uh, uh, what are they, you know, the converters, the disc, right? The, the disc tape deck. Yes. But I had the converter, which was even better. I could use oh, the sound the system. Right. Oh, so it's beautiful. So I slept in my car in the parking lot in the garage, which had a locker room in it until I was able to find an apartment. So that was the first thing I started a consulting company, uh, here in Seattle, which was a lot of fun. That consulting company then, um, went through a couple iterations and, and is now slalom consulting. If you're familiar. Really? With That's pretty incredible. Yeah, and I left slalom. Um, gosh, right before I became really wealthy. Okay, <laughs> and so I'd love to say I became a little bit wealthy, maybe even partially wealthy. Yeah, um, I had enough to pay some rent. <laughs> and <laughs> no, when you, and consider, uh, you know, living in a Celica to paying rent, I mean that that's a pretty big step up. It's a huge step up. So no, I, that, I learned a lot of valuable lessons with, with the slalom leadership team and they, they gave me an opportunity and I, and I did a lot of, a lot of good work there and Amazing. obviously wish them the best all the time. They're one of our great partners they are. Uh, to this day. So fantastic. So, so at some point you stumble in the doors of Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a, that was a trick. I, I, I went from sort of the boutique consulting space to Accenture Okay. And, and anybody who's sort of been in technology consulting or, or technology for a while, you know, some of the big five, uh, big four, if you if you think about it, they provide a great network. It's kind of like a really good grad school, right? Yeah. A good network, good formal, good good structure, good education. You know, they, they sort of teach you frameworks. Yeah. And that was the first experience I had. Because, you know, when we were at, you know, Slalom. You're making stuff I was, 
I, I mean, I was billable. I was recruiting. I was doing sales. I built our website. I, 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 I created our HR documentation. I mean, I don't, nice. didn't know what I was doing. I was a punk MBA. Right. So, um, you know, I, going to Accenture and seeing the infrastructure and getting like actually, you know, professionally trained in doing work, <laughs> uh, was a pretty fun experience for me. And, you know, of course I got staffed at a lot of good projects here in the, in the area. And one of them was, was Microsoft. And so I said at okay. the time, we'll probably be here for, you know, one to three years. It's a good full-time opportunity working on a really cool project. It was a data, it was a data project. That's my right. background, data modeling and warehousing. And so, uh, it was a really cool opportunity. And, um, and yeah, that was 16, 16 years ago now. Was so, it really? So how long, yeah. how long, um, were you working as a contractor before Microsoft brought you on full? About two years, okay. two years. And I had a couple offers, um, and in fact, I had a really good friend of mine who I worked with at Accenture, uh, who's now a, a senior director here on our team's practice. Yeah. I helped negotiate his package to go from Accenture to Microsoft. I ended up getting an offer from the exact same sort of hiring GM yeah. when I got my offer. And I was explaining to the GM, you know, hey, I, you know, I know what these jobs are worth. I um you know, I, I helped negotiate my friend's offer. I have an MBA. I have a lot more work experience. I'm expecting probably a little bit more money. And he looked at me square in the eye. Remember when we used to meet in person, right? Um, and he looked at me square in the eye and he said, yeah, but I know how good he is. I don't know that about you. <laughs> I don't know that um, much about you. So I got the exact same package that I negotiated for my friend um, earlier in that process. So. Well, at least you've done such a good job with it before that uh, it must have been okay. That's right. Well, I called, I, I called the managing director of Slalom. He actually was not, it was great. He sent me a note when I got, when I made the, the, the role here of, of chief technology officer in the U S when he sent me a nice congratulatory note and I told him, yeah, John, it's fantastic. I'm now making the money I would have made if I just stayed with you 20 years ago, but, but no, yeah, no harm, no foul. I learned no, no, a little no, bit. No feelings, you know, <laughs> hindsight is a beautiful thing to, to look at. I learned some things along the path. Sure. Um, but yeah, so I was here as a, a contractor for a couple of years doing uh, some different projects and then, finally bit the bullet and I'm still here. Got in. That's fantastic. So, so now, now you're in this role, us CTO and, yeah. um, you know, helping, helping partners, you know, help companies through the whole world of transformation. Now, Microsoft, you guys sit in a really interesting position because if we look at, you know, the other two cloudies, so you've got AWS, yeah. you've got your Google, um, yeah. you know, thing that one of the things that makes Microsoft so different is the fact that you have a vested interest, not just in building out everything that you do from a cloud, but you also have a yeah. strong, 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 strong hybrid story as well. Yeah. And I was reading some research this week that the Synergy Group put out, and that was that this whole cloud service or cloud software and infrastructure market grew at 35% last year in 2020. And what's really interesting about that number is that it was greater than the the number of, of infrastructure and software that grew inside of data centers. In fact, for the first yeah. year, um, the cloud-based stuff grew faster than than the other. First of all, thoughts, yeah. observations about that. What do you what do you what do you think? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I mean, I'll, I'll say one. Um, yeah, I mean, Microsoft's been in the enterprise software game for a, for a bit now, right? Just a bit. Five years and, and counting, and and we sort of have created this trust level of how to, how to leverage technology, right. To empower, you know, people and organizations all over the world really yeah. reach their full potential. That's sort of the, the process there's, a, the, I've read in, in some blogs that I guess there's some other public cloud companies out there. I don't know. One of them's, one of them's an advertising company. I don't, I don't, I don't know. And the other one, 
The other one sells books. I, I'm confused on why people trust their enterprise infrastructure to them. But again, I'm, you know, maybe biased different strokes for, for different folks. I don't, I could be biased. Yes. Um, but that's what's unique about, I think, our space is that because we do have this legacy enterprise software play, yeah. we were sort of thrust into being a hybrid provider right, and really right. being a differentiated company that we have so many customers that rely on our on-premises technology. Now we're trying to help scale, secure and innovate, you know, live um, in the cloud. It really puts us in the position of if we're not the hybrid company, who, who will be right. right. Um, and so I think that's one. It's it's oftentimes such a blessing to have the the history, the reputation, the experience mm-hmm. in, you know, company and commercial and, and regulated industry um, customer base. But you know, it's also this, you know, move fast, do things differently, pay the channel differently, right? And in, in right. incentives. And that's really challenging as well. We've got so many partners that have been doing business with us before the cloud was a thing. They still want to be paid like they were on, you know, on-premises infrastructure before. Yeah. So, so yeah, it, it's, it's both a blessing and a curse from the Microsoft perspective. Now, when you talk about growth, it's phenomenal for, for a couple reasons. One, you know, the pandemic really did force people's hands, right, on how they think about technology, innovation, and, you know, investment. You know, you have to do more with less also, yep. all the time. There's not a CIO that you or I talk to, Jeff, that doesn't have the budget pressure. And mm-hmm. it's not that their budgets get reduced, you know, um, every year by 30 40%. It's they're being asked to invest and prioritize investments in different areas, right? Um, a lot more line of business applications, a lot more front-end or frontline worker scenarios. And so... Yep. There's the need to have an online presence for commerce, uh, for managing supply chains. Um, that's a trend that's been probably happening for, for five to 10 years anyway. The mm-hmm. pandemic accelerated all of that. Yep. And so the pandemic showed us that, gosh, I don't have the capacity or the people to go and manage a server on premise. I, I don't have um, supply chains that I can just manage all with in-person conversation or delivery trucks. And so how do you leverage technology differently and take advantage of what I need to handle here in an on-premises environment versus obviously how do I take advantage of the size, scale, security of some of these public cloud providers, right? And so um, I think a lot of that growth is tied very specifically to, you know, COVID-19, just really accelerating technology usage and adoption. Um, But I think number two, I think people are just getting smarter at scale. You know, why, why would you invest... Again, I can't speak to companies that do advertising work, but why, Why, if I was a small company or a mid-sized company, why would I invest in my own data center um, investments as opposed to turn it over to a, a company that spends $10 billion of, of R&D to, to manage this, right? Yeah. I mean, if you just even think about Rackspace, right? You, you know, you, you've you've been there for a while, um, you know, uh, you're a couple years. We've worked, we've worked with Rackspace for a number of years. Rackspace, think about the transformation you guys have all made as oh, well, yeah. your continued evolution um, to be sort of thrust into this hybrid space just as well. There's still a huge value to hosted exchange and the business you run on-premises. There's still a gigantic mm-hmm. value in enabling and take, taking advantage of scale assets from the public cloud providers as well. And so um, it is about customer preference. It is about customer comfort, right? Mm-hmm. About what they're, what they're confident with as well. But most importantly, it's about making sure that our, our clients can do more with less, right? How yeah. do they prioritize? IT because stuff? there is less to do it with. There that's is less. Sure. It's, 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 that's, a, that's a fact, right? If you, if you had a dollar to invest in marketing or sales versus IT infrastructure, there's not a CFO or CEO on the planet that would prioritize IT infrastructure to, to, to suck up that dollar. 
That's right. So you make a couple of really interesting points. And I think it's that with COVID-19, it was such a such a catalyst to those companies that you talk, you talk about small, small businesses and would they invest in their data center? And let's be real. Their data center was a broom closet. Their data center was next to the, yes. you know, the lunchroom or the, where the, or, or the restroom or, or in it. And, um, and so now yes. they gave them a reason to, to finally get that stuff out of there and they choose SaaS offerings if they can, and they, they build in the cloud when they can't, which, which is a great model for it. And then, um, and then you have your, you know, your midsize and even larger that, that took, uh, the opportunity to take the things that they could and get them out of their data center. But there still are, you know, there are real reasons to have physical infrastructure in, in certain yes. scenarios, um, you know, when latency matters, you know, um, when we need to push things closer to the edge and edge just doesn't mean the data center now it means there are real use cases for, for these types of things. Think about, you know, the, the box on the side of the McDonald's that is their edge data center. That's, that's enabling, yeah. you know, people miles away to take the order. Um, yes. But, uh, so, so with with 2020 being the catalyst, and or the year that it happened, and COVID being the catalyst, you know, what does a crystal ball look like, or the first few months that you've observed here in 2021? Do people pull back a little, or do they they really lean in and, and exploit the investments they made last year? They lean in. I'm biased. They lean in. Um, I'm counting on it. My retirement, my my day to day inbox, my email inbox. Yeah. Uh, I have not seen any uh, any hesitation to sort of fully invest. Jeff, you, you nailed it. Like the old school philosophy of a data center in a closet somewhere or a server under a desk, it's just different now. That doesn't mean we've gone away from physical infrastructure, right? There's yeah. still a thousand devices for data backup and recovery. There's still a thousand you know, requirements around networking and security around data protocol shift. I, it's, it, it's just a different type of data center now. And yeah. companies are getting a lot smarter about what they need to manage directly and have in their own control versus what they can outsource. And yet we are still, we're still at the tip of the iceberg, right? I mean, there is still, if you think about the, 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 you know, billions of workloads that happen every single day, the volume that actually happened within a cloud infrastructure versus still on-premises and, and privately owned infrastructure, you know, we're talking 22% market penetration, right? Yeah. And and there's still so much more more to go. So when everybody, you know, whenever I have the conversation with, you know, partners and, and customers about, hey, well, what do you see? What are the trends you're, you're sort of seeing? What's coming next? Lift and shift. It will be continuing to come, right? Hey, there will, there will, I've been in and around the Microsoft ecosystem for a while. I thought two years ago was supposed to be the year of migration, but we're still there because it. you rightly we're say we're 22% in, 22% we're in. still there. Yes. And, and if you think about infrastructure, you know, uh, you know, domain, identity, compute, storage, still so much work left to do there. Right. right. So that's sort of trend number one. That is the trend that keeps on, on giving. Right. Yeah. Um, number two, there's a lot more work to be done around data and data platform integration. Mm. And I think you're seeing now smarter, you know, business decision makers and companies that want more out of their data estate, right? Like we need to be better at targeting customers with a very specific message. We need to be better at engaging and keeping loyalty scenarios much differently, right? Yeah. The 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 volume of call centers that have now moved to bot technology, right, is a really good example. Like it's a great how do we example. capture all that data? and then put it into a funnel where we can drive insights and quicker conversations or quicker solutions for those customers. Yeah. And we are, if we're 22% on infrastructure, we're, we're about 3% then on the data estate. Yeah, that was my, gonna be my next question. If we're 22 here, where are we on the data side in your estimation? I, I think we're, we, we've got, you know, Microsoft has termed this fiscal year of ours, the year of, of data. And 
you know, I get chastised a lot internally when I say things like it's going to be the decade of data for us. It really is. Right. I mean, if you just think about the disparate application points where data can be collected, the need to standardize ingest first, problem one, two, how do we standardize it? How do we put it into a common data model? And then how do we, we deliver it to endpoints of sales, marketing, support, product development, where they can actually use that information. Where they can ask questions of that data and get meaningful insights or have it just delivered to them. That is an unbelievable untapped environment. So I think I think we still got a lot of infrastructure work, um, you know, and then we've got a lot of this data estate and then serving up insights through that data estate. And then, you know, there's actually some legit cool scenarios too, right? You mentioned edge and IOT and yeah. how do we do more digital twin type technology? And what are we doing with artificial intelligence around bot and mm-hmm. voice and, and face recognition software? And and then what are we doing with RPA, um, you know, process automation? Sure. Is still a big proponent. I think that is, you know, as we look at all of these areas where the transformation happens, if you go back to just your example where the line share is, is lift and shift of, of opportunity. That leaves behind a lot of opportunity. It leaves behind the yes. swivel chairs that exist in all of our organizations of, hey, there's the invoice over here, but I got to put it in that system over there. And, you know, that's been Betty's job or Bob's job to do for the past 20 years. Well, yes. you know what? Let's yes. train those folks on how to use the tooling because you have to have that person who has the domain business knowledge inside of the organization. You can't, you can't code that person out, but that person becomes yes. a great enabler. Yes, my see the, my, the best example I give on this is 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 my old man. He's he's old, um, a, a, a veteran, a mill worker, a good good provider. I yeah. didn't I didn't care for him all that much as a kid, <laughs> but I appreciate him now. Okay. Um, oh, the honesty. He's always been there. Yeah, he's always been there. He he's the guy who will go to a Safeway slash Bonds, you know, a grocery yeah. store, right? Yep. And he's the guy who refuses to do the self-checkout because he's like, no, no, no. If I do the self-checkout, that means that checker is out of a job. And that's not necessarily the future of what artificial intelligence or some smart technology can be applied for, right? The, The benefit to having technology do some of those repetitive tasks is that then you take that checker Mm -hmm. and you make them more impactful to drive better customer relationships. Like imagine if instead of having somebody that has to do the checking work, they actually get to wander the, the aisles and check right. in and say, hey, you find finding everything you need. Is there something I can help you look at? Oh, have you tried this salsa con queso? I mean, exactly. the, you know what I mean? Like there, yeah. there's so many opportunities to do more with some of these repetitive tasks that exist. And I do think that we're just, again, at the very top of what can technology enable to make people do more, you know, impactful and influential jobs in the day to day, right? And I think well, that that is very, very inspirational from my and perspective. In, and in and in the the research I've done, um, you know, you take that person who is doing the swivel chair work or the checker who is doing that work. You know, that's an hourly job. Um, that's that's a job that doesn't carry benefits. That's a job that doesn't really drive you towards you know something more meaningful in in life. But that same person who goes and learns, you know, some RPA software, that's an that's on average an eighty five thousand dollar a year job. With benefits, right. with a career path. That's right. That's that right. And we, we see this now. You, Jeff, I know you know this with Rackspace as well. We can't find enough talent. That's right. We, we, the amount of effort that both of our companies are putting towards skilling, enablement, you know, creating certifications in the marketplace. Um, we're, we're Again, this is a hockey stick that we're just at the beginning of. We have to continue to invest. We have to continue STEM engagement, right? right. Particularly for underserved communities, right? Um, in, in particularly you know, urban and, and, and underserved, um, and, and frankly, like disproportioned 
you know, economies and, and well, population bases that don't get access to technology, right? And we've got to do a better job of getting the word out because we are hiring. Rackspace is hiring. Like Microsoft is hiring. You know, there's not enough yep. of these sort of, you know, information workers, you know, that we have to choose from. And when you think about, you know, gross domestic product, yeah. right? Like what is actually going to differentiate us in the future, right? Are we going to be a, a world leader in carbon neutral? Of course. Are we going to do a world leader in technology innovation and financial, you know, uh, stock market gains? Yeah, you bet. It's all based on the talent that we can sort of build, retain and get working on the world's biggest problems. Right. And so right. it's all tied to technology uh, in my mind um, and the pl- ap- applicable use of that technology. Well, you know, we talk about about uh, COVID-19 being, well, I used the word catalyst before, but I think it's the wrong word. The right phrase, I think, is forcing function because nobody invited yeah. it along to the party, but it, it yeah. got the ball rolling and people starting to see the value in making the change. But I think your data example now is um, – that's the catalyst. That is the bait. Yeah. That is the accelerant that will drive so much transformation because you've got to get the infrastructure updated then so that you can get your hands on the data. That's a, that's exactly right. You've got to be, you've got to have an, again, I, it, it's super simple from, you know, decision science 101, which is, Hey, you've got to have access points that collect data. You've got to figure out how somehow to collect that data, ingest it. You've got to sort of figure out where you're putting it. And then you get to go do stuff with it. And we're still at the beginning of thinking about what are we supposed to do with the data, right? Um, yeah. And some people are doing a great job of that, right? And and I love that, that, that it was a catalyst. It was a forcing function um, for people to think differently about their operating model and, and how they yeah. want to develop products, how they want to maintain and nurture relationships with customers. Right. That's really what it's about. So you use the phrase operating model. I want to ask you a question about that because so much has changed inside of enterprises today around, yeah. you know, it's not just the traditional IT folks who are making real IT decisions about this type of change. So what yeah. is it like on the Microsoft side as you enable partners and, and you're engaged with customers to, um, you know, the, the buyer is so different than it used to be five or 10 years ago, yeah. three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. The real answer is it stinks. You know, we used <laughs> to have a thing called, I mean, you know, like just being honest, it's, there used to be a thing called you're a Microsoft shop. Right. Do you remember that? Like, yeah, you yeah. know, yeah. Um, there was a time where all of your productivity services, all of your infrastructure, your servers, you were a Microsoft shop, right? right. You were sort of open source Microsoft, or maybe you had one of these iMac things. Okay. So like there was a, there was a process there that um, we used to be able to say when a customer, you know, SM, you know, small business, mid-market enterprise, when they bought Microsoft, they bought all of Microsoft. It right. wasn't all in. sort of the scenario. Now I can say with 100% confidence that 100% of customers have multiple vendors and products in their house, right? And so this is where Microsoft has really worked hard. And again, I'm blessed to to, to really, you know, have worked for a couple of CEOs here at the company. Um, You know, Satya's done such a great job of just really embracing open source and creating this set of services that people can build on top of. Uh, Again, being biased, I get to work with partners all day that take our baseline services, our technology, and then they actually make it real and relevant for customers to use. That's the value of the channel. Um, You know, companies like Rackspace go and take our services and then they make it make sense and drive the customer outcomes with your specific customers. You know, now there's multi-cloud, there's hybrid scenarios. You might own, let's say, Office 365, but you might use a different collaboration tool. I've heard they're out there. Um, (laughs) And so you might use a different video conferencing system than the Teams, you know, platform that you own. 
And so, you know, for us, yeah, is it, you know, is it is it great? No, it used to be a lot easier. But yeah. now the opportunity to build and deliver two things. One, best in class products. We think Teams yeah. video and calling is best in class. We think there's nothing that you can do in Teams that's a better experience somewhere else, right? Mm. You can put it on my name um, and you. I'll show you my chest tattoo after this call, okay? Because <laughs> I feel that confident about our Teams infrastructure, okay? Right. But we also want to create a system of services around Teams that if you are using a different calling platform, we want integration. We want you to be able to do the rest of the stuff that you do as a worker within the Teams infrastructure or leveraging Teams intelligence or um, or, or AI or even workflow, right? And so it's an interesting challenge for our company to sort of figure out how do you create best in class individual products while really maintaining best in breed end-to-end services, right? For other right. people to take advantage of. And we want to do both. Well, I'll tell um, you, from a, from, a, from a user perspective, a consumer perspective, I'm glad you're under that pressure because gone are the days where, you know, hey, in three years, we'll see you with that new update. You know, three right. days later, you've got a new feature. Three weeks later, there's a new feature. You can look back at a quarter and name release after release after release. And that has been a great, a great thing for Right, you. I totally agree. And we, you know, again, we were the first company obsessed with, new product innovation patent discovery how are we pushing the envelope on what technology can enable now there's there's a few companies right that are investing in r&d there's a few companies that release services you know like crazy every every day every week and so it's put a lot of pressure good pressure right on on our engineering teams to continue to push the envelope on what our product should do and how we can deliver value to customers right all right. Hey, this has been fascinating, but I have one or two last questions and I want you to put your your um, your wizard hat on and bring out your, sure. your crystal ball. So so first of all, what excites you about the technology that's that you know is coming down the road? What what um, you know, CTO, you're you're involved in tech. So what's exciting about tech um, and, and seeing how it is impacting customers? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've got sort of a few things that, I mean, I'm sort of a dork about the actual um, product itself. I, I'm tired of sort of switching windows uh, between mm. applications and services. So I'm really jazzed about what Teams, what our Dynamics 365 play can enable, right? To be able to have, if you're a sales rep or a customer support rep or an information worker, to have all of your functional, you know, um, you know, tasks in one pane of glass is really important to me. So Teams as a platform is the operating system of the future. I'm done sort of logging in. I just do all my work in Teams, right? So that's like job number one. Um, The next thing I'm really excited about is this concept of quantum computing is not going to go away and we're going to lick it, right? We are, we're going to lick it. We got some of the biggest brains on the planet. The, The ability to take a Bitcoin mining operation and throw steroids on it, but mm. actually use it to solve the world's greatest problems around <laughs> carbon and around resource utilization and around traffic flows. All of that gets opened up with quantum computing. And just to think about the fact that now we have AI scripting, we have unbelievable data modelers. Now we've got cheap power and huge processing capacity. We're going to solve this and we're going to be able to solve these unbelievable problems that the world has with things like AI and quantum computing in the future. I mean, just think about COVID. Like, it could have been avoided, right? And, and we could have had a response mechanism differently on how to attack that virus and the variant. Think about the light speed process of getting FDA approval on vaccinations. That could have been shortened by a hundredth 
you know, um, right. by, by, by hundred X, right. If, if we had the right processing and quantum computing, you know, scenarios available. And so I think that's, that's a huge, you know, opportunity. And then the third thing that I really, um, I, I just sort of get a little bit annoyed about is just think about that when you're traveling or you're, I mean, just wherever you are, yeah. this access to Wi-Fi versus cell technology, um, mm-hmm. edge is everywhere. I mean, we're seeing such huge investments from the telco operators, Verizon, yeah. AT&T, CenturyLink, all these amazing investments on connecting the last mile of mm-hmm. connectivity. There will be a time where everybody in rural America and everybody across the world will have access to internet and access to data and access to real-time data and information. Um, I always joke that, you know, when I was a kid, I had an encyclopedia. I only had one, the the traveling encyclopedia person. I know Jeff, I've told you the story. You know, he swings by your farm and he, and he gives you the A book. And so yeah. as a kid, I wrote tons of papers about alligators and, <laughs> and you know, artichokes. I, I can tell you anything you need to know about anything the Andes. Anything in the A's, I, I nailed. But that was pre-internet, right? That was before I had, everybody had access to, to real-time information. There's a real-world scenario that in our lifetimes, Jeff, everybody in the world will have access to connectivity into the World Wide Web. And we're going to do that through this edge and satellite and even space coverage of, yeah. of Wi-Fi. And so that to me is is also really, really inspiring. Like how do you give everybody an equal playing field with access to information? That's right. And um, they'll consume it all through Teams. All That would be the goal, but <laughs> depends on how- <laughs> it depends a really on how, big leap to go from Teams to quantum, but I, but I, quantum, I know, I know, but it depends on how, how productive they want to be, Jeff. It depends on how productive they want to be. This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com. Well, David said it perfectly when he said he didn't know a leader who would prefer to spend their money on sales or driving a business forward than spending it on infrastructure. And that's the challenge to us all here in the technology world is how do we do more with less because it's totally possible in this cloud-based economy. And that's what we're here to help you with at Cloud Talk. And that's to bring these leaders like David around to give you ideas, give you inspiration of how to actually accomplish that. Now, I want to call out a big thank you to Dell Technologies for their support of the Solve program here at Rackspace Technology. And if you go over to rackspace.com solve, you'll find articles, you'll find this podcast, you'll find our artificial intelligence podcast over there as well, as well as a ton of other information like our Solve strategy series that we've got some really amazing events coming up this year, as well as replays for the ones we did earlier. Go check those out. I'm really grateful that you've spent a little time with us this afternoon here on Cloud Talk. Know that we put one of these out every single week. And I'd love for you to go to wherever you find these podcasts and subscribe. And if you like it, leave us one of those five-star reviews. Until next time, I'm Jeff Deverter with Cloud Talk. Jeff, you you nailed it. 